chose such a graphic video to show before a series about a book that was written 2,500 years ago. And the answer is simple. What you see on the screen is our Babylon. That's the society, that's the culture that our kids, our grandkids are growing up in. And if we aren't raising our kids to be Daniels, in the culture of our day, our kids are going to be eaten alive by that culture. And so that's why we have that video. Now take your Bible and hold it up. And I want you to repeat this affirmation with me. This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author. Salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. Now turn with me in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 5. I'm sure that many of you have heard the expression, the writing is on the wall. It means that something bad is about to happen and there is nothing you can do about it. It is impending. It is going to happen. It's going to take place. Now what you may not know is that phrase comes from our passage of scripture this morning. This passage of scripture is all about some writing on a wall. Now let me give you a little bit of background and tell you a little bit out of the story before we dig in. The year is 539 B.C. We know that beyond a shadow of a doubt because history tells us that's when the Babylonian Empire was conquered by the Medes and the Persians. So it's 539 B.C. It's about 70 years after Daniel and his friends 
had been taken into captivity into Babylon. It's about 20 years after Nebuchadnezzar, that great king of Babylon, had died. Now his grandson, Belshazzar, is sitting on the throne. History tells us that Belshazzar was a spoiled, rotten brat. He lived his life to excess. He lived his life focusing on sex and wine and all types of, of horrible, immoral things. About this time in the story, the Medes and the Persians have surrounded the city of Babylon. The rest of the kingdom has already been overtaken by the Medes and Persians. And so Belshazzar, the king, decides to throw a party. I mean, after all, when your kingdom, your city, is surrounded by an enemy and it looks like your defeat is imminent, what do you do? You throw a party. Well, the reason he threw a party is because he thought he was untouchable. He thought that regardless of what the Medes and the Persians did, nothing, nothing could affect him. Because you see, the city of Babylon was an amazing city. The walls of Babylon, history tells us, were 300 feet high. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. That's the size of a football field. So the city walls were 300 feet high. They were 87 feet wide. And so they were not only 300 feet high, they were 87 feet wide. Three chariots could go on the walls of the city side by side. The walls of the city had a hundred towers on them, strategically placed so that they could look out and see what the enemy was doing. They could set up crossfires for their enemy. And so they felt like they were secure. Nothing could knock down their walls. Well, you may think, well, they will just wake them out because their food will give out, their water will give out. But see, the city of Babylon was built with the Euphrates River running diagonally through it. The river went under the walls of the city, through the city, and out on the other side. So they had an unlimited water supply. And they had food stockpiled for 20 years. And on top of that, they could um, grow food inside the city. And so they felt like they could never be touched, so they partied. They were living as if nothing could ever happen to them. But then they went too far. Belshazzar asked that the gold and silver cups of the temple of the living God, the one true God, be brought into the party. And they took those cups, they filled them with wine, and then they made toast to their pagan gods in those cups that were meant to bring glory to the one true God, mocking God. That's when God had enough. And all of a sudden, the fingers of a hand, suspended in midair, began to write on the wall of that banquet hall four words. Now think about that for just a minute. You're partying, you're half lit, You've been drinking for hours, and all of a sudden you see a hand out of nowhere, suspended in the air, writing words on the wall. 
As you can imagine, everybody was scared, but Belshazzar was scared to death. The Bible tells us that he shrieked out in terror, and he was so afraid that his knees gave way, and he fell to the ground. <coughs> At this point, Belshazzar called in all the wise men of the day, and he made them a promise. If you can tell me what this means, I will make you the third highest man in the kingdom. But as you might expect, they were not able to tell what those words meant. And so his grandmother, Nebuchadnezzar's wife, said, I once knew a man who could tell these types of things. His name was Daniel. And so they went to get Daniel. Daniel was now probably in his 80s. And he came, and, and as you can imagine, he interpreted those words. And the four words were mene, mene, which means numbered, tekel, which means weighed, and person, which means divided, numbered. The days of your kingdom are numbered and are coming to an end. Weighed. You have been weighed on the balances and you haven't measured up. And Perzon, your kingdom has been divided among the Medes and the Persians. And that very night, little did they know, but Darius and his armies had been diverting the water flow of the Euphrates River to a local lake. And the water that was flowing underneath the city quit flowing. The riverbed dried up. And the Mede and Persian army were able to go into the city underneath the walls and conquer the city. Historians tell us that when the army entered Babylon, they found the leaders feasting in drunken revelry. They thought nothing could touch them. Now what is amazing to me is that Daniel, 70 years earlier almost, prophesied that this was going to happen he said your kingdom is coming to an end but you know what is even more amazing there were other prophets in the old testament that gave us this same prophecy the book of jeremiah was written during the time before nebuchadnezzar destroyed babylon the very last of the book tells about the city of jerusalem being destroyed this is in 586 B.C., long before 539 B.C. And yet in the book of Jeremiah, we are told that the Babylonian Empire would be destroyed. I want you to listen to what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 50. He said, tell the whole world, keep nothing back, raise a signal flag to tell everyone that Babylon will fall. Her images and idols will be shattered, her gods, Baal and Marduk will be utterly disgraced. In chapter 51 of Jeremiah, we are told that the Medes will be a part of the conquering army. It says there, sharpen the arrows, lift up the shields, for the Lord has inspired the king of the Medes to march against Babylon and destroy her. This is his vengeance against those who desecrated the temple. He even tells us that God is going to dry up the riverbed. It tells us in, in verse 36, this is what the Lord says to Jerusalem. I will be your lawyer to plead your case. I will revenge you. I will dry up her river as well as her springs. And we are told that all of this happened during a drunken feast. Verse 39, 
And while they lie inflamed with all their wine, I will prepare a different kind of feast for them. I will make them drink until they fall asleep and they will never wake up again, says the Lord. We are even told that the kingdom will fall when Nebuchadnezzar's grandson is the king. It says in Jeremiah 27, Now I will give your countries to, or your countries to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, who is my servant. I put everything, even the wild animals, under his control. All the nations will serve him, his son, and his grandson until his time is up. Then many nations and great kings will conquer and rule over Babylon. Now listen, if you have a hard time believing in God, if you have a hard time believing that God's word is true, I challenge you to just study the prophecies of the Bible. And look how the things that were written years before these things came to pass, came to pass just as they said they would. When you read the Bible and, and in the Old Testament we read the prophecies of Jesus and, and we look at the story of Jesus and we see that they took place just like the prophets said. Understand you can trust the Bible. The prophecies that, that have already taken place have taken place just like the prophet said. And listen, the prophecies that have yet to take place, trust me, they're going to take place just like the Bible says. But what I want you to hear this morning is this. This chapter is not just a story about the fall of the Babylonian Empire. It's a story for us all. You see, I believe with all my heart that this is a message for our generation today. And so what I want to do is I want to share three truths that I've gleaned from this passage and then leave you with a question. Here's truth number one. Just like Belshazzar and Babylon, we are living our lives our way with no thought of God when in reality... His judgment is at hand. Let me say that again. Just like Babylon and Belshazzar, we in America today are living our lives our way with no thought of God when in reality his judgment is about to happen. Listen to what it says beginning in verse 1. Many years later, King Belshazzar gave a great feast for a thousand of his nobles. He drunk, drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking the wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver cups that his predecessor Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. He wanted to drink from them with his nobles, his wives, his concubines. So they brought these gold cups taken from the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. While they drank from them, they praised their idols made of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly, they saw the fingers of a human hand writing on the plaster wall on the king's palace near the lampstand. The, the king himself saw the hand as it wrote, and his face turned pale with fright. His knees knocked together in fear, and his legs gave way beneath him. And I believe with all my heart, this king, Belshazzar, and these partygoers are a picture of our world today. First of all, they were immoral. Drunkenness and sexual promiscuity were rampant in the Babylonian Empire. Archaeologists 
have uncovered pornographic artifacts, symbols, and materials in the ruins of ancient Babylon. A lot of times today we think that pornography is something new that has come up in the last hundred years or so. But understand, since the fall of man, mankind has been struggling with sexual sin. They were immoral. But they were not only immoral, they were idolaters. They were not only worshiping pagan gods that were not gods at all. They took the sacred cups from the temple of the living God and were giving toast to their pagan gods in mockery to God. And they did all of this in spite of the fact that time after time, God had revealed himself to the Babylonian people. You need to understand that. You say, when did he do that? Daniel chapter 2. When Nebuchadnezzar had this dream that was haunting him and no one could tell what the dream was and interpret the dream, in walks Daniel, a servant of the Most High God, who interprets the dream. And Nebuchadnezzar says, truly, your God is the greatest of gods. Did Nebuchadnezzar humble himself and begin to follow God? No. But he recognized that Daniel's God was unique. Daniel chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar built this huge statue and commanded everybody to bow down before it. And if they didn't, they'd be thrown into a fiery furnace. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused. And they were thrown into that fiery furnace, but they didn't burn up. But not only that. A man that looked like God, God in the flesh, Jesus, was in that fire with them. They came out of that fire unsinged. And Nebuchadnezzar gave a decree that all the people of the earth were to give respect to the God of the Jews. Did he humble himself? Not yet. But he's getting there. In Daniel chapter 4... There is another bout that Nebuchadnezzar had with God. And God finally humbled him to the point that, that Nebuchadnezzar went out into the wilderness like a, like a wild animal. He lost his mind. And finally, he came to his senses. He humbled himself before the God of all creation and realized that God is sovereign over all things. But here's the thing. Belshazzar... His grandson had either forgotten those lessons or he chose to ignore those lessons. And that's when God had enough. Judgment was about to become, or judgment was about to come. But my question to us today is this, are we any different in America? I mean, do we really think that we're any different than Babylon was back then? I mean, aren't we living our lives independent of God, even those of us who call ourselves Christians? Are we not living our lives each and every day, doing what we want to do, going our way instead of following God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Are we not living in a society that's thumbing its nose at God, having this idea that, that, that no one can touch us, when judgment is only a heartbeat away. Now in case you've been on some intergalactic mission over the last several years and you've missed this. America is a mess. 
We are a mess sexually. We've embraced every form of deviancy imaginable. And we wonder why our kids are sexually confused. They're confused because we're bringing all kind of trash before them each and every day. And I want you to know God's word is not confusing when it comes to sex. The Bible makes it clear that sex is a gift. It's not a God. Sex is a gift that God gives to a man and a woman, period, who have entered into a covenant relationship with one another. That's sex. But my word, we're teaching our kids craziness. Our colleges, our universities, many places of businesses, including hospitals, are asking now, what is your preferred pronoun? Are you kidding me? Look at me. I, I, mean, I mean, goodness gracious, one of our families has a student who's in high school that's taking AP classes at a, a college online. And in enrolling in that class, one of the questions is, what is your preferred pronoun? I had surgery at a hospital several weeks ago. And, and in the survey that I filled out, one of the questions is, what is your preferred pronoun? I started to say, go back to the pictures from the emergency room. I was naked. Find out for yourself. <laughs> I mean, we've gone crazy. We are absolutely crazy. And God's word isn't confusing. Here, listen, people are confused. But God's word says God created them male and female. And our mouths, our mouths have become cesspools filled with vile, profane speech coming out all the time in every medium possible. And yet God's word says let no vile, corrupt communication come out of your mouth. Since the heartbeat bill has been passed in Texas making abortion illegal after a heartbeat is discovered. The pro-abortion group has been doing everything they can to overturn this bill, including saying that it's not really a heartbeat that you're hearing. Give me a break. Are you so dead set on killing unborn babies that now you're going to even try to lie? Now hear me. We can talk about the emotional trauma that comes because of an unwanted, unplanned pregnancy. We can talk about that. We can even talk about the life of the, the, the mother being in danger at times because of a pregnancy. We can talk about that. But understand, we can't talk about the fact that what is growing in that mother's womb is a human being created in the image and the likeness of God. And is given breath and life by God. We have been divided as a nation to the point that families and friends and even brothers and sisters in Christ are attacking one another on a host of issues. And yet the Bible warns us that a house divided against itself will not stand. And spiritually, we're worshiping every God but the God of the Bible. We've taken God out of our schools. We have. We've taken him out of the workplace. And we're trying to take him out of the public forum. And we're wondering why things are unraveling. Hear me. Why do you think 
Why do you think people are wanting to take God out of the classroom, out of the workplace, out of the public forum? Can I tell you why? Because whenever God shows up, he overcomes. And so they want to get God out of the discussion because if God comes into the discussion, God wins. Our world is gone crazy. And understand me, unless America falls on its face before holy God and repents, judgment is coming. Mark my word, you may not want to hear that. It may scare you, but judgment is on its way. And the tragedy is, most people don't even see it. They don't recognize it. They're too blind. Jesus said in Matthew that, that when he comes again, and he's coming to judge, when he comes again, it will be like in the days of Noah. Everybody will be partying and living their life, and all of a sudden the rains come and the flood comes and the world is destroyed. And then he said two will be walking, working in the field. One will be taken, one will be left behind. Two will be grinding grain. One will be taken. One will be left behind. In 1 Thessalonians 5, he says the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief. People will be saying everything is peaceful and secure. Then disaster will fall on them. In 2 Peter, it says in the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own evil desires. They'll say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord. A thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promises. Some people think, no, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed. He wants everyone to come to repent. But the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. Listen, judgment is coming. It's on its way. And we better repent. The second thing I want you to see in this passage is this. The wise men of our day aren't as wise as they think they are. The wise men of our day aren't as wise as they think they are. Listen to what it says in verses 7 and 8. The king shouted for the enchanters, astrologers, fortune tellers to be brought before him. He said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever can read this writing and tell me what it means will be dressed in purple robes of royal honor and will, be, will have a gold chain placed around his neck. He will become the third highest ruler in the kingdom. But when all the king's wise men had come in, none of them could read the writing or tell him what it meant throughout the book of Daniel. We see the failure of the wise men of the day to know the answers to the things that really mattered. And yet, that's what every society does. When things come up that scare us, that frighten us, that we don't understand, what do we do? We consult the wise men of the day and say, what is the answer? Now, now who are the wise men of our day? Can I give my guess, my opinion? The wise men of our day would be our scientists, our educators, our politicians, our, our media heroes, our actors and actresses, and, and our newscasters. But have you ever stopped to consider how many times the wise men and the wise women have been wrong? Have you ever stopped to consider how many times the answers they have given us have proven to be the wrong answers? 
I hear this mantra today, trust the science, trust the scientists. But I would dare ask you, which one? Which scientist am I supposed to trust? Am I supposed to trust this scientist that doesn't believe in God, that says everything that we see is the result of a cosmic explosion? I mean, because they haven't answered the question of where did the stuff come from that exploded? I mean, I'd like to know that answer. Am I supposed to trust the scientists that say that you and I evolved from goo to you by way of the zoo? Are, are those the scientists that I'm supposed to trust today? So you say, trust the educators. Okay, am I supposed to trust the educators that are telling our kids that, that sex and gender is fluid? Am I supposed to trust those that, that tell us that our history needs to be rewritten? I'm here to tell you, I don't want my kids being taught that junk. Now understand, I'm pro-science. I'm pro-education. But what I am saying is you need to be careful. Because just because someone has a degree or a title or whatever else doesn't make them inerrant. They don't know everything. My wife was taking a walk. I hope I can say this. She goes, I don't know what you're going to say. I'm scared to death. My wife was taking a walk the other day and was talking to someone in our neighborhood. And, and as is today, it came up. COVID, and our person in our neighborhood said this, well, just whatever Fauci tells me to do, I'm going to do. Now, hear me. That's not an anti-Fauci thing. But if you go back and look over the last two years, Fauci has been wrong a number of times. And that's to tell you that just because someone says something doesn't make it true. As far as I'm concerned, there's only one inerrant word, and that's the Bible. And that's why as the people of God, more than ever, we need to get into God's word. Because there are some of you, I love you, but you are flat out ignorant of God's word because all you do is come here on Sunday occasionally and may listen to some crazy person on some religious channel. Get into the Word of God systematically and let God speak to you. And I'm here to tell you, if you get into God's Word, God will speak to you. He'll open up your eyes, your mind, and your heart. So be careful who you listen to and get into God's word. Third thing, the writing that's on the wall, it's for everyone. It's for everyone. So listen to what it says in verse 25 and following. This is the message that was written, many, many, tekel, parson. This is what these words mean, many, many, numbered. God has numbered the days of your reign and has brought it to an end. Tekel means weighed. You have been weighed on the balances. You have not measured up. Parson means divided. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And what's sad, what breaks my heart, is that Belshazzar knew the right answers. His granddad was Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had multiple encounters with the living God. Trust me, 
After Daniel chapter 4 took place, Daniel let people know about the living God. But somehow Belshazzar missed it. And where Nebuchadnezzar humbled himself before God, Belshazzar never did. And he was given this message. But this message speaks to each of us. First of all, numbered. Hear me. Your days are numbered. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die. You've got an appointment with death. I don't know when it's written in the books, but God knows. And nothing is going to change that appointment. You are going to die. And that's not to try to scare you. That's just to tell you a fact. You're going to die. That's why David said, teach us to number our days. Death is coming for every one of us. The day you were born, you started dying. And no matter what you do, you can't stop that. Jeff Bezos, the richest man on the planet. You know what he's investing his riches in right now? Have you heard? Have you read it? True story. He's investing his riches in the secret of eternal life. Look it up. He's bringing some of the best geneticists in the world together to discover the genome that will allow us to live forever. I've got news for Jeff. I'll tell him how he can live forever and it won't I won't charge him a dime. It won't cost him a thing. It's not going to be found in a genetic laboratory. It's not going to be found in a gym. It's not going to be found in a nutrition store. The secret of eternal life is only found in Jesus. Your days are numbered. Some of you are young. And you think you've got your entire life ahead of you. You may have a long life ahead of you. You may not. Could walk out of here today and die. Some of you who are older are healthy. And you go, I'm taking care of myself. I'm not going to die young. Yeah, tell that to the truck that hits you. You may have a good heart and good lungs and everything else, but that's not going to protect you when death comes knocking at your door. Our days are numbered. Second, you've been weighed and you've found, been found wanting. The Bible says that it's appointed to demand once to die after that the judgment. Every one of us are going to stand before God. We're going to give account of our life. And the Bible says when we stand before God, we're not going to measure up. The Bible says all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says the very best that we have to offer is like filthy rags. There's nothing we have to show God that's going to get us into heaven. We're rebels. We've sinned against God Almighty. Listen, God is the creator of everything. And he deserves for you to get up every morning and say, God, what do you want me to do today? Life is not about you. It's about God. And if we live our lives our way, regardless of who we call ourselves, we're sinning and rebelling against holy God. You're not going to measure up. You deserve judgment, just like Belshazzar. And our only hope of balancing the scale, Jesus. It's the only hope. 
rest of your life doing good, living in poverty, giving all your wealth to whatever, it's not going to help. Your only help, your only hope is found in Jesus. That's the only hope we have. And so I want to end with a question. Are you prepared? Are you ready to meet Jesus? Daniel chapter 5 verse 30 it says this. That very night Belshazzar the Babylonian king was killed. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Daniel chapter 5 is in the Bible for a specific reason. I don't think it's there to teach us history. I think it's there as a warning to us today. Just like Babylon, we're on the verge of judgment. Belshazzar, when he got this message from God, did nothing. History tells us that they continued to party. Didn't humble himself, didn't repent, didn't beg God to forgive him. Kept right on partying. Judgment is coming. Our only hope is to repent. I want you to listen to what someone said. They said the tendency of every great nation is the same. To believe that we will always be a superpower. To slowly push God out of the picture. To take him out of the public life. To forbid the mention of his name. To ridicule those who still believe in him. To promote those who exalt man and downplay God. To chaff at the absolutes. To rewrite the rule book. And to live by our own desires. Over time we take God for granted. Turn to our own idols of technology. And began to worship the things we make with our own hands. In the end, God judges that nation and is no longer great. God judges nations. And America's about to be judged. Unless we repent. But here's the thing you need to understand. God also judges individuals. And individually we have to repent. And surrender our lives to God. Belshazzar had the hand of God write a warning on a wall. And yet he refused to repent. Some of you are here and, and what you're saying right now is. If a hand came out of heaven and started writing on my wall. I would do whatever it said I needed to do. No you wouldn't. No you wouldn't. Because here's what I know. The hand of God, the arms of God, the legs of God, the heart of God, the mouth of God has come to earth. His name is Jesus. He did mighty miracles. He taught amazing truths. And then he died on a cross for your sins. But death couldn't hold him. Sin couldn't defeat him. Three days later, he rose from the grave, defeating sin and death for you. And if the story of Jesus does not bring you to your knees asking for God's forgiveness, nothing will. I want you to bow your head with me and close your eyes. With your head bowed and with your eyes closed. You're here today and you know you're not right with God. You've been playing games. 
Maybe you've prayed some little prayer a while back in your life, but you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. And today you're ready to mean business. You're ready to truly give your life to Jesus. Then I encourage you to humbly pray this prayer to him right now. Dear God, I humbly come to you today admitting that I am a sinner. I am a rebel. I've lived life my way. I've lived like I'm sitting on the throne. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Jesus, I believe you came to this earth. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose from the grave defeating sin and death for me. Today, I'm trusting you alone to save me. I'm giving my life to you. Wherever you lead, whatever you ask, I will do. For the rest of my life, Jesus, I want to live for you. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving me.